Father, we thank you today for all that you have done for us. We thank you for this opportunity to speak with those that are hungry for you and for the things that you've promised us. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for dying for us, for shedding your blood for our salvation. We thank you for all of these things. We thank you for your promises, for your assurances. We thank you for your love, mercy, grace, and peace. I ask in Jesus' name, Father, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, eyes to see what you're showing us, and a heart to understand what it is that you're saying to us that we might respond to you in a way that is pleasing to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. Welcome. Thank you for joining me for Call to War video briefing number four. Obviously, number four implies that there's been a one, two, and a three. So I appreciate you joining me, and I pray that today the Lord will speak to you and stir your heart and to uh, enable you and I to join together in an endeavor that would that has great potential for impact upon our world. Very, very briefly, just a quick overview for those who have not watched either of Call to War 1, 2, or 3. On March the 29th of this year, the Lord spoke to me and uh, gave me a, 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 a direction to call for a solemn assembly. I thought at the time that he was uh, immediately, after he spoke to me, that he was speaking to me direction for Call to War 2016, which is the last week of October. But as I read the scripture that he gave me in Joel chapter 2 uh, about calling a solemn assembly and gathering everyone together and praying and he, him giving very specific direction for that prayer, I realized that there was more to it than just simply the meeting that would be held here in Annapolis, Maryland. And then he spoke to me and said he wanted uh, a call to go forth for a round-the-world 24-hour prayer chain by time zone uh, for a week of warfare. As of this time, we have at least 16 of the 24 time zones that are currently uh, committed to. That doesn't mean there's enough people in each one of those. You can never have too many people praying in any one of the time zones. But we're really thrilled with this, thankful for that. Uh, there are many nations already involved, and uh, and over about three-fourths of all the United States have someone in those states that's committed to participate in this, this uh, round-the-world week of warfare prayer chain by time zone. Uh, the Lord gave that specific direction to me, and I I went over the uh, the, the giving of the direction and and the the, the basic details of of the of that direction for the solemn assembly in the week of warfare, and then also of the preparation for that uh, from Daniel's twenty one days of victory. I, I gave the brief uh, overview of all of that in uh, Call of War video briefing number one, and it's very important to hear that and where it came from, how it came about, what the Lord was saying. In Call of War video briefing number two, I focused on the actual uh, week of warfare and the specifics of the prayer the Lord gave us 
uh, as direction for what we should pray during those uh, uh, prayer times of warfare, during the week of warfare. Then in video briefing number three, uh, I focused on the the, the uh, time of preparation for that week of warfare, focusing on Daniel and his life. And, and so each one of those briefings is uh, different. They're actually sequential. Obviously, if you're watching this at number four, it is your right and privilege to do that. I'm only encouraging you to go back and watch video Call of War video briefing number one, number two, and number three, so that you can be fully up to date with what the Lord is trying to say to the church, and and I pray that you will receive that. Today, uh, it, we're going to be just a little different. Different. Uh, this is the first day that I will not focus specifically on the direction of the week of warfare and what we're praying, and also of the time of preparation. In fact, uh, I'm not going to really discuss either one of those at all in this briefing, because uh, uh, the Lord has led me to do something different. During World War II, uh, the, uh, the United States government, using uh, Hollywood and uh, all of their technology that, at that point in time, uh, they, they, they produced a series of movies that they showed that were shown throughout the United States to Americans because of all the deprivation Americans were going through and this rationing and all of that. And the title of that series was, Why We Fight. And uh, I really felt the Lord speak to me that uh, I needed to uh, allow Him to speak through me to you so you would understand why we are involving, He's called us to be involved in this time of warfare at this, this very crucial time. Uh, not only for the United States with the presidential election coming, but also for the world and all the many things that are happening seemingly every day. Some new and uh, horrible event has happened someplace in the world, sometimes more than one place. And uh, it is very important that we as believers understand what's going on and how we're supposed to cooperate and participate with the Lord in this time, uh, in the time in which we live, and in this time as He begins to wind down all that He has promised, uh, and so that the, the uh, title, if you want one, for this briefing is "Why We Fight." Why are we going to do a round-the-world, twenty-four-hour prayer chain? Why are we going to prepare for that week of warfare? with uh, 21 days of some type of fasting and prayer and repentance for ourselves and our and the church like Daniel repented for himself and for Israel. Why are we going to do that? Uh, if you will permit me, I have a lot of scriptures to read and I realize I'm going to be looking down a lot during this, so please forgive me in advance for that. I, I, I would like to read these scriptures because they're very important, but uh, I, I'd like to start at this point. Uh, Matthew, or excuse me, Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 45. Uh, there is terminology here that we need to notice very closely. Uh, the scripture says, Then opened he their understanding, that he might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, He being Jesus, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, 
and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And listen closely. Luke, 20, Luke 24 verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. That's not the last time uh, that we hear this phrase spoken by Jesus. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, which he say, which saith he, ye have heard of me. But wait for the promise of the Father. And all these things that he is, that's being discussed here, the major things that are all listed in these five verses that are the prelude to Jesus' ascension. And of course, this is the chapter, chapter 1 of Acts, that's the prelude to the birthday of the church on, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Jesus said, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, Say, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, in uh, strictly from a grammatical perspective, we begin to understand what the promise of the Father is. The promise of the Father, it, grammatically, in you looking at verses 4 and 5, grammatically, and also spiritually, uh, we understand that the promise of the Father has something to do with receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We know in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, verses 1 through 4, that uh, the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, it was rushing mighty wind, and filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared under them cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, and began to speak with, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And of course, as you continue reading in Acts chapter 2, you find that it notes that there was a... Uh, uh, that the, the, the noise that this 120 people were making in this upper room caused a large crowd to gather. And that crowd was made up of people from all over the world. Mostly, they were people not only who were Jewish in heritage, but Jewish in faith. But there were also some non-Jewish uh, heritage people there who were Jewish in faith because they were proselytes. There are approximately 17 countries listed in uh, Acts chapter uh, two and 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 they wanted to know what is this noise we're hearing? What is this all about? And Peter said in Acts two seventeen, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. 
But as Peter began, continued preaching or speaking to them, this is what it says beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. You men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being del- delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Peter still preaching. Thou hast made known unto me the path of the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, we know David was a king, but here Peter says he was a prophet also. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither was his flesh to see corruption. Listen carefully. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he had shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Peter is telling us that what happened in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4, is the promise of the Father. Jesus told him in Luke 24 to go into Jerusalem and tarry until they receive the promise of the Father. In Acts 1 and 5, he, he again said to them just before his ascension that they should go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And here Peter is equating what happened in Acts chapter 2 verse 4 with what Joel prophesied was going to happen. Shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh with the promise of the Father because Peter says what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 4, Jesus himself is the one who gave it. He received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost and he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. When Peter was concluding his message, uh, the Bible says that the, uh, those that were convicted of by his preaching said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But listen to verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children. And to all them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So, what promise? Where, where, did, where did God give this promise? Well, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 11. <laughs> Forgive me. I had it right here. Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) Hebrews chapter 11. 
Okay, sorry about that. I will go to the scripture. I thought I had it printed out in my notes, and I did not. So with your patience, I will go there. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse uh, 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And verse 13 says, These, speaking of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, here's the problem. Some would say that this promise to Abraham was strictly the promise that he would have a son and he would have many heirs and that he was going his descendants were going to be given a promised land. Well, we know that happened uh, as God used Moses to put, to lead the people of God who uh, they went into Egypt as the family of Jacob or Israel and they came out a the nation of Israel some 400 plus years later. Uh Moses led them out, and Joshua led them into the promised land. So we know all of that happened. But what what about this? What about these words? The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 39, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. These all, having received a good report through faith received not the promise. Now, if the promise was Isaac, uh, if the promise was the promised land, if that's all it was, that the promise Abraham received, and Isaac and Jacob were heirs of the same promise, according to Hebrews 11, then this verse is not accurate. But after... Paul discusses all the heroes of faith in the Old Testament, Hebrews 11. He concludes Hebrews 11 with these words. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise singular. God having provided some better thing for us. Who's the us here? The New Testament believer. That they without us should not be made perfect. And of course, the Greek word here is is not perfect meaning flawless, but it means completed or fulfilled or brought to the expected end. And so, again, these verses are very critical. Because those that want to dismiss God's promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as being, to Abraham being Isaac, and, and, and that certainly that was a part of the promise because Abraham couldn't have an offspring, couldn't have any heirs and offspring if he didn't have first have a son of promise. And Isaac was part of this, but he wasn't the promise. The promised land wasn't the sole promise. It was a part of this, of course, but it wasn't the promise. 
Because whatever the promise is, all of those Old Testament believers died in faith not having received it, and they needed us for their promise to be perfected. God's a God of principles and patterns. One of his most significant principles is he gives the promises to one and the fulfillment to another. So the one he gives the promise to has to believe the promise, but usually doesn't see it come to pass. And then the one that he fulfills the promise to, the only way they get the promise is believe the promise that was given to those that went before them. And they get to see the promise, but they don't get the promise directly. They have to receive it by faith from those that received it. That way, nobody takes the glory. Nobody gets the credit. Everybody has a part to play. So that's why the scripture says, God provided some better thing for us. What, what better thing did he provide? He provides that we're going to be the people through which his promise is going to come to pass. However... We need them because they receive the promise. Abraham received the promise. Abraham needs us because we're the ones through which his promise is going to come to pass. This is what the Lord's promised. Now, the obvious question at this point is, what was the promise that God made to Abraham that is also our promise that God has not fulfilled yet and that Abraham is still waiting for, so to speak, its fulfillment, and that fulfillment is going to happen through us. What is that? Let's go to Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and uh, this is what God said, Genesis 12 verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Listen now. And I will make, this is a promise, I will make thee of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. One of the most important principles of blessing is we are blessed to be a blessing. And all this stuff about giving money so you can get money back, and it's your blessing, and you can use it however you want, that is totally contrary to biblical principle. Every blessing God gives any one of us individually is so that we can be a blessing to others with that blessing. If you're a child of Abraham by promise, then that applies to you too. It certainly applied to Abraham. And then finally, the Lord said to Abraham in chapter 12 verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. Listen carefully. And in thee, Abraham shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now that's pretty specific. That's really specific. And the terminology here cannot be easily dismissed except by unbelief. Now, that's the first time God gave him the promise. But it wasn't the last time. After uh, many years later, 25 plus, Abraham at 100 and Sarah at 90 finally had a child miraculously, Isaac. Isaac was the child of promise. And uh, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac to him 
because it was God's test of Abraham to see if Abraham was going to cherish the God who gave the blessing more or the blessing God gave more. Which was going to be Abraham's priority of life. Was he going to cherish first and foremost the God of the blessing or the blessing of God? I don't know how many people have ended up lost away from God because God blessed them and they switched their allegiance and faith and devotion from the God who gave the blessing to the blessing God gave. Then, in that case, the blessing of God becomes a curse to us. And so God tested Abraham in his faith. He tested Abraham's priority. And when Abraham uh, did everything but put the knife into Isaac's heart, even though his muscles flinched to come down and drive that knife in the boy's heart, and God knew in Abraham's heart the boy was as good as dead and sacrificed, the Lord stayed his hand, provided a ram in the bush as a, a, a substitute sacrifice. And that's what Jesus' death on the cross is called for us theologically, is a substitutionary sacrifice. Christ died in our place. God allowed him, uh, the man Christ Jesus, to die in our place, suffering as a substitute for us, for the sins we committed. And so this was the scenario. And after Abraham passed the test, in Genesis 22, beginning with verse 15, uh, the Lord confirmed to Abraham the promise that he gave him in chapter 12. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time, and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now, I want you to notice already that the second time the Lord gave the blessing, He didn't diminish the blessing. He didn't diminish the promise. He increased the promise, the scope of it, the impact of it. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sandwiches upon the seashore. And see if this doesn't sound a little bit familiar to you. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Kind of sounds like Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against, against it, against the church. Sounds like that, doesn't it? But the Lord's not finished. Verse 18 of Genesis 22. And in thy seed. Shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice? Now, I want you to notice the difference here. First of all, in Genesis 12, the Lord said, uh, He gave Abraham a promise. And in giving Abraham that promise, He said, In thee, you, Abraham, shall all families 
of the earth be blessed. The second time the Lord gave the promise, He didn't just give a promise. Notice carefully what verse 16 says. By myself have I sworn. Now, this takes what God is saying to Abraham into a completely different dimension. If you are a Christian, you believe the Bible and Bible principle, you know this, that promises are all conditional. They all have the if involved. If you do this, I'll do that. Or I will do this if you do that. Promises cannot come to pass where unbelief is present. God can make all the promises He wants to to me, but I will receive none of them unless I believe for them individually. And so there are untold promises that God has made to people that have never come to pass, that have never been fulfilled because people either did not know how to receive a promise or did not have the faith to receive the promise or did not love the promise. Esau didn't love the promise. So Jacob got the promise. But when God swore with an oath to Abraham, he changed everything. What he said was this, I'm taking the if out of this, Abraham. I'm going to give you a guarantee. Whatever I have to do, whatever lengths and depths and means I have to go to, to put, bring my word to pass, I'm going to do not only what I promised you, but I'm going to do what I'm swearing to you right now that I'm going to do. When the scripture says, by myself have I sworn, Paul said later, when God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. What does that mean? God said to Abraham that if I don't do this, I'm not God. If I don't fulfill what I have promised to you, I'm not God. Now, we know that God can't lie, so God can't cease to be God. So that means whoever God offers the opportunity to be a part of His plan, uh, if they don't love that opportunity, if they don't believe that promise, if they don't take advantage of it, God will find someone else to do that promise and fulfill that promise through because He swore with an oath to Abraham that He was going to do that. He swore with an oath. And to dismiss this is dismissing the deity of God. If God doesn't keep this oath, He can't save you, can't save me. He just undeified Himself. He, he just made Himself impotent to be a Savior if He doesn't fulfill this. Now, notice please, in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So whatever the promise was that God made to Abraham, all families on earth shall receive this blessing. And every nation on earth shall receive this blessing. That's pretty specific. That's pretty extensive. In fact, that's far beyond anything the world's ever experienced. Now, the question then comes down to this. 
what's the blessing of Abraham? We already know that the promise given to Abraham, God claims, is the promise of the Father. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Luke 2 and 24, don't leave Jerusalem to receive the promise of the Father. Just before his ascension, he told him again, go to Jerusalem till the promise of the Father happens. And then Peter said that the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost was the promise of the Father when he was preaching. And then when people said, men and brethren, what shall we do? He told them to repent, be baptized, uh, and, and receive the Holy Ghost because the promise was unto them and to their children. So what is the promise of the Father? Well, as I have said many times, uh, it's not original with me, but I've used it. I like it. I agree with it. Uh, my opinion of what the promise of Abraham and the blessing of Abraham is is of no value. My opinion of what that is and is no more important than your opinion, and yours is certainly no more important to me than mine. Uh, and my little uh, uh, graphic cliche is that Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple and they don't always smell so good. So the point being here that the only opinion about what, uh, of what Abraham's promise is that matters is God's. And so let's see if God explains to us what the promise of Abraham is. Galatians chapter 3 beginning with verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Now, I'm not a, I wasn't born a Jew. I have no Hebrew lineage in my past that I have any knowledge of. But when I was born again of water and the Spirit, by faith, I became a child of Abraham. Listen to the next verse. I'm going to read verse 7 again. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, and that word means everybody that's not a Jew. And it's specifically heathen. So the promises of Abraham aren't just to the Jews. The promises of Abraham were made to impact the entire rest of the world. Every family, every nation, sworn with an oath that that was going to happen. And the scripture, verse 8 again, Galatians 3, 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now, preached before what? God who calls those things that are not as though they were, tells us the end of something before the beginning, preached the gospel to Abraham. Well, wait just a minute. 1 Corinthians 15 says, The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no evidence anything like that was preached to Abraham. So what gospel did God preach to Abraham? The Lord preached to him the results of the gospel. He preached to him the end of the gospel before the beginning of the gospel. Because we know that Christ is Abraham's seed. And in the second time that God gave the promise, he didn't say, uh, and in thy seeds, uh, uh, 
shall uh, all the nations of the world be blessed. He said, in thy seed, singular. And we know that in the book of Galatians, there's a couple of places, at least one, where Paul makes a, the point that God said, seed, not seeds. And that seed was Christ. So the seed, the promised seed to Abraham, that would come down through Abraham's lineage, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel, etc., etc., Israel, Judah, and on, was Christ. Now, he pre preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Now, in Genesis 12, he said to Abraham, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But in 22, Genesis 22, he said, In thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. But look what the Spirit of God and Paul does right here in verse the last part of verse 8. God preached the, before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. The Lord just joined the promise of God in Genesis 12 to the promise of God to Abraham, sworn with an oath and guaranteed to Abraham by oath. In Genesis 22, he just joined the two of them together and made them one. And then verse 9 says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So again, what is this promise? What is the blessing of Abraham? Well, let's let the Bible tell us where there's no argument. Galatians chapter 3 verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. There's the heathen again. Through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Jesus said, Luke 24, go into Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. Jesus said again just before His ascension, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, which saith thee, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Acts 2 17, and, and Peter said, In the last days, this is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel, shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And then down in Acts uh, 20, uh, two, uh, Acts 2 verses, what's it, 27, 28, somewhere in there, uh, Peter said again that Jesus was, the man Christ Jesus was given the promise of the Father when he ascended into heaven, and he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear, the seed of Abraham shed forth the promise of the Father upon us, and then when the multitude wanted to know, well, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter told him, Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And throughout the New Testament, that phrase, afar off, is speaking of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Because we're spoken of being far off from God's covenant, far off from God's promises, and yet God gave us that. Now, now again, Galatians 3.14. For the blessing of, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ 
that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This is guaranteed by an oath from the Lord. It's guaranteed. Oh wait, how much? What's the scope of this? Well, every family on earth is promised to receive have someone in every family on earth to receive the blessing of Abraham. And every nation on earth is promised to receive the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is people receiving the promise of the Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. The promise of the Father. Now, I have discussed this with some in the past and they've told me that they believe this has come to pass. I'm very sorry. If that's as much faith as you got, God bless you. But that's not what I read here. That's not what I've studied. That's not what the Lord has shown me in this book. What I see in this book is There isn't anything remotely close to this that's happened in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, the first century, really. So when Peter said that the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out, or excuse me, when Joel said the Holy Ghost was going to be poured out on all flesh and the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost was only in Jerusalem and upon people who were primarily born Jewish and those of Jewish faith that weren't born Jewish, that's all flesh? That's all flesh? So when Peter actually quoted Joel 2.28, he didn't quote Joel 2.28. Because Joel 2.28 said, Joel said, It shall come to pass afterwards, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And that afterward there is speaking of what preceded Joel 2.28. Which of course is the basis of the prayer that we're going to be praying for during the week of warfare. But when Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, there is no linguistic scholarship book that I have read that even remotely attempts to compare the Greek words translated in the last days to the Hebrew words translated afterward in Joel 2.28 and Acts 2.17. So, what was Peter doing on the day of Pentecost? What he said was this. This that Joel prophesied that you've just seen fulfilled is the exact same thing that Jesus is going to do in fulfillment to the promise of Abraham in the last days. Last days of what? That was the first day of the church. The last days have to be the last days of the church on the earth. Not the last days of the world. Not the last days of man on the earth. Not the last time that the devil will be working in the earth. But the last days of the church that some call the dispensation of grace or the age of grace or the church age. What am I saying? I'm not saying anything, but let me tell you what I believe the Bible's saying. I believe the Bible's saying there is coming an outpouring of the Holy Ghost before the rapture of the church 
unparalleled to anything that's ever occurred in the history of man. Well, Brother Wright, don't you believe there's people getting the Holy Ghost throughout the world? Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of places where people have received the Holy Ghost. Well, aren't they the fulfillment? No. No, they're not. What are they? They are the reapers for God's harvest field. He said, the harvest, in Matthew chapter 9, he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. All these people, myself included, that are that all the people that are watching this, every one of you, you were saved to be a laborer in God's harvest. All that God promised to Abraham is going to come to pass. But the laborers to do that is who the Lord's saving and training and making disciples out of now. This is not the end. This is not the end. Horrible stuff happened in the world. Horrible stuff. But that's the purpose of this call to a solemn assembly, to a week of warfare. For the church to come together worldwide and pray. Not in the name of any organization. Not in the name of any leader. But in the name of Jesus only. And pray as we've been called to pray. That we can bind the strong man and spoil his house. And, 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 and deliver those souls that are captives. And see them set free. This is what God's called us to do. This is what God has called us to do. Now, all of this is promised to the heirs of Abraham. To the heirs of Abraham. Now, it's not often that God or anyone gives you a guarantee that absolutely cannot fail. We've all bought stuff that had a warranty. And uh, we tried to exercise that warranty and people, whoever we bought it from or through, said, oh, oh no, 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 that, that, that that's not covered, that's not covered, that's not covered. But what happens when God gives a warranty? I'll read it to you. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, Paul talks about the oath made to Abraham. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater... He swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had he Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So wait, 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 wait. It says he attained the promise. And yet the end of Hebrews said they all died not having obtained the promise. What did Abraham obtain? He obtained the only portion of the promise that he could obtain in his lifetime. And before this promise that, that, that's been sworn to by an oath can come to pass, every believer, every church, anywhere in the world can receive a portion of that promise that's theirs in advance to confirm to us that God is going to fulfill all that He said He would do. I'm so thankful that the Lord baptized me with the Holy Ghost. My wife, my sons, my daughters-in-law, my grandchildren, so many people here in this church and, and, and your churches and other places in the world. I'm thankful for every single one of them that's received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
I'm thankful for all of that. But there's 7.5 billion people in the world, give or take a half billion. Or 500 billion, give or take 500 billion. Excuse me, 500 million. So all these people that are getting the Holy Ghost, this huge numbers of ones and twos and tens and and even in a few places that we know of, and on a rare occasion, a thousand or three thousand. And thank God for all of those places. Do I believe that there have been situations where God has poured out His Spirit on three thousand people? Absolutely. Do I believe that God poured out His Spirit on a hundred thousand plus in Ethiopia on a few occasions? Absolutely, I believe that. But what is all of that to seven point five billion? What is all that to the promises of God? What is all of that to the promises of every nation that's going to receive an outpouring? Not a trickle, not a light sprinkling, but every family. Now, I've studied the word. I've studied that Hebrew word family and how it's used and all of that. And and I, I totally agree it's up to, it's subject to interpretation. Uh, it could be uh, a father, mother, and children. Or it could be someone in, in in the living generations of a bloodline, where there might be a grandparent and a parent and then child and whatever. You know, there there it's not unusual for four generations of a bloodline to be in, to be alive in a family at the same time. But even that, that there's nobody that would would possibly possibly propose. To say that every, let's go to the broadest definition of family. That everybody in a living bloodline has at least one person throughout the entire world. Has at least one person that's received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So if you want to just limit God and narrow it all down so you can somehow believe in that. And and, and you want to come all the way down to that. It, that that limited amount that God's got to do when He said He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. If you want to believe that, that's fine. But still, there's nothing in history that has demonstrated that every family in France has received the Holy Ghost. Every family in Germany, every fam- family in Italy, every family in Saudi Arabia, every family in Egypt, Every family in Turkey, every family in India, every family in China, every family in Russia, every family in Brazil, Mexico. Hello? So you're honestly going to say, those that are looking for a way out of believing this, that at least somebody in every living bloodline in all of those nations has received the Holy Ghost, so come on, Jesus, we can leave here if you're a pre-tribulation rapturist, whatever that really is. Really? I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I'm not limiting my God to that. Sands of the seashore, stars of the heaven. Really? God told Abraham he's going to bless him and multiply his seed to be like the sand of the seashore and the stars of the heaven. And compared to the entire world, there may be a good 55-gallon drum of us, sand or stars, 
maybe, if you want to be really, really, really liberal in your definitions, because ultimately only God knows who he approves of and who he doesn't, who he receives as his and who he doesn't receive, who he, he, who he has, claims as his own, who he doesn't claim. I'm not God, so I don't know who all that would be. I mean, <laughs> you got seven churches in Asia, right? And you got one that's got the doctrine down, and they don't suffer any false apostles, but they have a slight problem. They left loving Jesus, and so they're about to have their candlestick removed. And you got another one. They have a name they're alive, but they're dead. Another another church in another city, and then you got an, another one that's, uh, uh, you know, they're rich and increased with goods. They don't need anything. And the Lord called all of them churches. That doesn't mean he said everybody in those churches is saved. So I'm not going to play God and define what he calls the church, what he doesn't. I'm not going to do that. But the bottom line is this. At your most broad definition, uh, I don't think we have remotely pro- approached stars of the heaven sands of the seashore so God promised Abraham that he promised Abraham that and he swore with an oath to Abraham that he would do that so the the, the question then comes back to has this been fulfilled I don't think so let me continue reading here for a moment uh, Hebrews six fifteen again and so after he had patiently endured he obtained the promise For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Uh, Let me me read that again. What did that say? For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, all debate, all contention over the point. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show him show unto the heirs of promise that's me hopefully you too the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath god went beyond all everything that was necessary as god to do he and if i could put it this way god humbled himself to go to the nth degree to convince man how Desperately he meant, meant for us to believe this by not just giving a promise, a promise from God's good enough. But he swore it with an oath. And he didn't just swear it. He didn't swear it by the earth. He didn't swear it by the solar system or even the universe. He swore it by himself. Verse 17 again, Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is it was impossible for God to lie. Two immu- what two immutable things? Promise and an oath. Whether I believe the promise or not, it's immutable. When God makes a promise, it's immutable. He can't lie. But then he confirmed the promise with an oath. And so, that by two immutable things, 
in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enter into, entereth into that within the veil. My friend, thank you for taking the time to listen to this. Thank you for listening to this, considering this. Thank you for that. I'm going to put a PDF file on the website apostoliciron.com or call to the number two call to war.com. They link together with these scriptures without any commentary from me. I would just I'll put a PDF file on the on the uh, website. You can download the scriptures in case you didn't write these down, and you can go and study this for yourself because this is why we fight. Because God is ready to fulfill this in the earth. He's ready. God is ready. And He's looking for those who will believe the promise. Well, we don't have to pray and do all that. God's promise, He's made an oath. No. The reason God gives a promise, a rhema, is so that we will use it as a weapon of warfare in the supernatural dimension of the earth and take dominion in the earth so that word can come to pass. Because as I've already taught in previous call to war briefings, God is not going to do this independent of man. Every principle of the Bible demonstrates that God is going to work through men to see other men saved, including our prayer. He's going to work through our prayer. Through our prayer, through our preaching, and through our communicating the gospel unto others as we preach the gospel to every creature and we witness to every soul the Lord leads us in contact with. Why are we not seeing more results? We're not seeing more results because we haven't bound the strong man. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus said, that if you don't bind the strong man, you can't spoil his house. There are so many absolutely sincere, good, honest, wonderful people who are in cities, towns, villages, locations, where they're trying to reach the people of that city with the gospel. And they're seeing so little happen. And, and the adversary wants to accuse them, accuse my brethren and say, your failures, you can't do this, you're not doing something right, etc., etc., etc. Well, that's a lie. But there are things that we are not doing because we don't understand we need to do them. And that is including going to war using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the rhema of God, the promises of God. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, by the prophecies that went before on you, make war. That's the weapon of our warfare. It's the word of God, the promise of God, the rhema of God. And in this case, the oath of God that we have a right to use and quote. Remember, remember, faith is not faith unless it's demonstrated. God didn't say to Abraham, now you know I'm going to make you a, a, a father of many nations here and give you some promised land. 
Just sit back and relax there. And, err, and when I get it all ready, I, I'll let you know. No. Abraham had to walk by faith. And as the father of all believers, every believer has to walk by faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've, God, only those who are, are heirs of Abraham by faith are heirs of this promise. If you're not a Jew, only those who are heirs of Abraham by faith. Heirs of Abraham by faith. Let, let me, let me, I wasn't going to read this for time's sake, but I am. I'm going to read it. Um, Galatians chapter... Uh, oh, here it is. I'm sorry again. Please forgive me. Uh, I'm going to read beginning with Galatians 3.14 again. And read just a little bit. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth it or addeth thereunto. So this oath or this promise of God to Abraham was confirmed with an oath. Therefore it cannot be disannulled. It can't be changed. Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Now skipping down to Galatians 3, verse 26, listen to this. For, all, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. Now listen to this. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So if I've been born again of water and the Spirit, for as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I am not going to leave this earth and leave all of this on the table and hope to be saved when I did not believe the promises of God. When the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, it doesn't say Abraham believed in God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. What was it he believed that God had said that was accounted as righteousness? Okay, here it is one more time. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, 
the seed of Abraham naturally, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Parentheses, verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. In parentheses. Before whom, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old. Thank God I've got thirty years to go for that. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed the promise of God in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. And his faith in those promises, God accredited to his account as righteousness. I'm not righteous because I have faith in God. I am righteous because I have faith in the promises of God. My friend, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider this. Because those who believe the promise of Abraham and believe that they're heirs of Abraham by promise, it's time for you to pray. It's time for us to come together and pray. In the spirit around the world, the last week of October, it's time for us to come together in a week of warfare, not warring against governments, not warring against human beings, but warring against the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wicked spirits in the heavenlies that want to oppose all that is called God. They don't want this to come to pass. And the devil's doing everything he can right now to bind and hinder and prevent the church from seeing the promises of God fulfilled. But my friend, it's not going to work. Because God has sworn with an oath to my father Abraham that he's going to do these things. And I believe God. And I believe his oath. And I trust him. Once again, I'm encouraging you, please, to watch Call to War video briefings number one, two, and three so that you understand the plan that God has given for this time of warfare. The purpose of this briefing was not to go through all of that plan, but to tell you why we fight. Father, I thank you for this time you've given us together. I thank you for every person that has watched and will watch this uh, briefing, I'm asking you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would open our eyes that we see, our ears that we hear, our heart to understand, that we might receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that we might understand your plan, might understand your purposes, so that we might yield ourselves to you and participate with you in those plans and purposes, that you might be God, that you might, you might demonstrate to this whole world at your God, that you in and through your people might be 
manifested and revealed to be who you truly are, the I am in whom is everything and forth whom is everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. God bless you.